you made it to level two, deeper questions leading to deeper answers. I'm Tomas Garza, and I'm here to help you decide to transform. I'll be setting the pace for the process to support your unfolding. Learn and commit to a practice that brings simplicity and an awareness of what is ready to be released. Join me now and allow the experience of a deeper sense of love. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decide to Transform with the monthly executive contribution of Master Spiritual Teacher G.P. Walsh. G.P. joins me here every month on the show, and we've got a very interesting and very fun and highly interactive, frankly, show in store for you here today. GP, we were talking in the last recording here about your own spiritual practice and some of the, the traditions and practices that have informed your own journey. And one of those was the tradition of Advaita Vedanta, which is something that's really, it's a centerpiece of your practice, yeah. yet it's very little known. So I thought that we would just start off today by um, having you walk us through what that is, what, what that's all about. <laughs> what is that anyway? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a, uh, it's old. It goes all the way back to the Vedas in, uh, in uh, India, which is the earliest writings in, in uh, India that were written down long after they were spoken. Mm -hmm. right? So it was, uh, it was an oral teaching before, before that. The Vedas also, they also cover a lot of the, the, more, the mythological aspects of it. And, like, and probably the culmination of the of the Advaita Vedanta in the in the in the Vedas is in what's called the Upanishads, uh -huh. um, which some people might have might have heard of. Sure. And it was this that ended up becoming Zen Buddhism as well. Uh, that's people more are more familiar with that simply because there's a there's you know an official religion and 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 structure around that. But Zen is very very different than like um, uh, like Tibetan. Buddhism, sure. which is you, you more that people more ritual and mm -hmm. and education and that sort of thing. So Vedanta, Advaita Vedanta, has it's gone through many iterations. It's gotten you know it's been known and then unknown even in India. Uh, it's never been mainstream. It's always been kind of something there in the background, and became most uh, probably rooted in the modern way we understand it by Shankara. Uh, who was a thousand so years ago, right? Um, and and then the non-dual inquiry, uh, as I came to learn, it really came from Ramana Maharshi, um, who died in the early 1950s, um, who was a, a great Indian sage, um, uh, as well as his contemporary Nirzagadana Maharaj, uh, Atmananda, um, there... Uh, Papaji, who was a student of Ramana and Muji, which many, many people know, uh, was a student of Papaji. And Muji's my teacher, actually. So um, there, there is the, the lineage from Ramana to Papaji to Muji to me. Um, um, Muji is a non-dual teacher. He teaches Advaita Vedanta and self-inquiry. I mean, every teacher has their way of doing it. 
and Muji is is also probably the best known, certainly most televised non-dual teacher in the history of the world, right? <laughs> okay. With literally yeah. thousands of of uh, videos on YouTube and millions of views. Um, and he's just such an interesting and charming fellow um, uh, to listen to him speak because he's not Indian, he's Jamaican, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, as in this, in this tradition. So he's very personable and very approachable, um, but it is of the same, the same lineage. Um, to just uh, describe a little bit of what it is, it's, it's non-duality. Right. Okay. And people have heard that phrase, uh, non-dualism, non-dual non teaching, uh, that, that, that sort of thing. Um, it, it, it derives from the, the phrase Advaita Vedanta, right? which is a Sanskrit word, <clears throat> which means Advaita means uh, not to, okay. not divided, right? Ah, divided, ah, divida, Advaita. Dvaita. It's not easy thing for the English mouth to say to pr pronounce it correctly. And if you put ah in front of it, it means not, no matter what it is in in uh, in Sanskrit. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it simply means not to, and it's actually a beautiful way to try to express um, what, in fact, is very popular in people's minds, and that is the idea of oneness. You know, mm -hmm. sure, unity of interconnection and all yeah. that kind that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, the thing is, is that we tend to think of oneness in terms of kind of many hanging out together. <laughs> mm -hmm. right? So it's, we have kind of a literal idea of one as opposed to many, right? Which is just the normal way the mind works. That's the way discursive reasoning works. Everything is, everything is defined in terms of something else, right? You don't have right. short without tall, you don't have up without down, you don't have yeah. long without day, right? They, they, everything comes as pairs of opposites. Um, and you can see a union in the pair of opposites. Um, and the way that got expressed in the, in the Sanskrit was not by using the word one or oneness. They wanted to even be more subtle and point to something even more subtle than our sense of oneness, which is many as one. They said, it's not two. Yeah. Which now leaves it very open-ended for us to kind of, oh, what do they mean by that? You can do it with anything. They would say, you know, we'd say day and night, right? Right. And we'd say, oh, there's a oneness between the two. And they'd go, no, they're not two. <clears throat> That's a very different way of thinking about it. Tall and short are not two. Yeah. Male and female, not two. Uh, it, it opens up a very different way of of pondering uh, deep spiritual truth. And that's what it's pointing at, right? Mm. Because the ultimate spiritual truth can't be put into words. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. They say it in the Tao. The Tao that can be spoken is not the true Tao. Yeah. You know, how, do you, how do you express one without a second? Mm -hmm. You can't describe it because there's nothing else to describe it with. It has no peers. It has no opposite. It is a, it's, it's a realm of inquiry that in the West is completely foreign to us. We, we don't think about it at all. Um, yeah. But it is transcendent of all conceptual categorizations. <laughs> it cannot be, not only can it not be spoken, it can't even be thought. 
Yes, right. Yes. So how in the world do you approach something like this? And I guess the first question somebody would ask is, well, why? <laughs> why would we even bother? <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Why, why, why would you? Well, let's, let's stand because what it's pointing let's... at is the essential unity. Uh-huh. The essential oneness that I think is at the heart of all true religion. It's at the heart of all true um, uh, spirituality. It's at the heart of all philosophy. Hell, even science is looking for the unified the- field theory, right? Mm-hmm, right. There, there is this sense, even in, in the most materialistic of sciences, that at every level of perception, um, you find an appearance of something smaller, right? So the human body, to our, you know, we, as we look at it, you know, every day to day, looking in the mirror, looking at your buddy or your, 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 your spouse or something, um, there's this one thing there in front of you, right? But if you zoom in at a different level, you find tr- literally, literally trillions of cells, you know, working together, <laughs> responding together. Yeah. And each one of those cells, we don't think about this normally, but each one of those cells is a living entity. Sure. It's not. It's not a little piece of machinery. It's alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has a life cycle, right? It's going to. It's going to die, and it's going to be replaced by by something else. So when on one level we see the body. And we see it, but it's that's only an appearance of this of this enormously complex um, cooperation of individual entities. So at that level, if you zoom in with a microscope, there's no body. There's just a bunch of little things that are kind of dancing together. Right? <laughs> yes. Mm. And and if you take any one of those cells apart, you find a whole bunch of molecules. You know, literally billions of molecules that make mm-hmm. that up. So now you zoom in again. So you see that the body is an appearance of this collection of cells. The cells is an appearance of this collection of molecules. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, you break the molecule down. What's the molecule? Well, it's a bunch of atoms, right? And you break the atoms out. Well, that breaks down too. And you just keep going and keep going and keep going. And what's the mission? Science is looking for what is, not what is an appearance of something else. If we want to know the truth of something, we have to get to what it is. Mm-hmm. Realizing that at every level of perception, be it a body or an organ or a cell or a molecule or an atom or a subatomic part or a, por- or a quark or a quantum, um, at every single one of those, uh, the, the, those levels, it, you have an appearance. You don't have what is the thing? And every one of those appearances draws its nature from whatever this one thing is. Ah, uh-huh, yes. <laughs> and, you know, science is still baffled by it, but the, the latest ideas is that it is space itself. It's not something in space. That, that matter is actually space condensing itself. Now, this is really hard for us to to grasp because we think of space as this empty thing sure right? mm-hmm. but the the mission is to find because it, there must be something <laughs> right <It's gotta> be. <laughs> that yes. is not an appearance of something else mm-hmm. you can't have an infinite regression of appearances it's like an illusion of an illusion of an illusion of illusion somewhere there's got to be some poor schmuck who's having the illusion right? 
Yes. <laughs> it may be, you know, you may be having a complete, you know, you and I right now, you know, you could be asleep on another planet, right? Or you could be, you know, locked in an institution in a straitjacket somewhere. And this whole thing we're experiencing is a total hallucination, right? Okay. And yeah. you wouldn't know. Yes. You, you wouldn't know, right? But there's got to be something there having the hallucination, mm-hmm. right? The yeah. hallucination can't right. have hallucination, right? So this is the big, this is the, the spiritual, the existential and the philosophical problem that, you know, that, that, that the, the, the people who came up with the Vedas were, were pondering to solve. Right. That's what yes. this was about. What is the actual nature of reality? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> not, you, rea- no, not the conventional reality you and I agree on, right? We right. stop at red lights. This is what a car does. You know, I don't have benefits. I'm married. You know, that's all well and good. It's all fine, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But th- that's not reality, right? No. That's just all the various agreements and conventions we've come up with to, you know, to, to have a, a a culture and a society that's you know doesn't kill itself, <laughs> right? So we you know, we manage yeah. to get along, <laughs> at least well enough. Sometimes, yeah, but... <laughs> yeah. at least well enough that we're yeah. you know we manage to survive. <clears throat> and and but if you get if you know at some point for a lot of people it certainly did. For me, early on, 19 years old, this bug just bit me. He goes, what is the nature of reality? Oh. What is real? Yeah. It's an existential question. And, and simultaneously for me, well, if that completely engaged me intellectually and, uh, and the like, because of my incredibly horrible childhood, it was more than just an intellectual curiosity. I, I, want, I wanted to find the answer to suffering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there was there was a lot of emotional energy behind okay. the, behind it as well, um, because it, 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 interestingly enough, it's not the kind of thing you can penetrate just with the mind, as we we were talking about before. You can't put it into words. Mm-hmm. You can't put it into thoughts. So how do you how do you penetrate something like that? How do you how do you get to the point where you can come to understand? that which actually is mm-hmm. and that's the that is the that's the task of it okay now vedanta the advaita vedanta is a different sanskrit word and it kind of points to the to the method <laughs> okay um the word vedanta in sanskrit means the end of knowledge ah yes okay yeah okay wow the end of knowledge i thought we were trying to know something well, you could see it as the end of knowledge being the ultimate goal of knowledge, right? And you could see it as the, as the end point beyond which knowledge, as we, as we currently understand it, can't go. The Tao that can be spoken can't, uh, is not the true Tao. So it can't be spoken, right? It can't be known. So we, we're, we're going to a place that's beyond what we normally uh, regard as knowledge. Now, for human beings, uh, intelligent human beings, knowledge is what we know about a thing, right? Like, yes. I, you know, I know this microphone that I'm talking in, and it's got the cable and stuff, and I can identify it and categorize it, right? Yeah. But again, that's, that's describing one thing in terms of something else, okay? I, I don't actually know what it is right 
in, in the sense that, you know, there's all sorts of little piece. I don't know how a microphone works. All I know is that when I turn it on, I talk into it. You hear me. Uh-huh. And you're, you know, and you're quite a distance away. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. That's that's really all I know about it. So I know what it does, but I, I yeah. don't actually know what what it is. So how do I? What is this place beyond which knowledge can't go? Well, it actually becomes very personal at this point, <laughs> because because knowledge. Uh, as we as it's normally we regard it is a subject object relationship this is the scientific yeah. method yes this is classical analysis mm-hmm. there's the subject me and what i'm looking at and so knowledge is what i know about what i'm looking at mm-hmm. yeah. and forever in the universe that works just fine right I can describe you and your shirt and what we're doing here and you know the atrium behind me and stuff like that um all, all of that works fine. Um, but what if I have to, what if I'm trying to know myself? What if the subject is trying to know the subject? Yeah. <laughs> yes. You're not too. Mm-hmm. You can't step outside of yourself and look at yourself like an object <laughs> and say, oh, yeah, there I am. Right. <clears throat> I mean, I, 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 I love the example I like to use for people, as I said, is picture yourself. Picture yourself in your mind. And people will picture themselves, it'll, you know, it'll probably be maybe, you know, waist up, right, what they look like in a mirror, maybe, maybe further away, but usually about five feet away, the way I'd look in a video or okay. a picture sure. or, or something like that. Now, you realize that image that I asked you to bring into your mind as your self-image you've never actually seen that not once in your life have you ever seen you from that point of view mm-hmm. mirrors yeah pictures yeah videos yeah but never directly yourself okay. so what do you look like from a distance of zero mm-hmm. now this isn't just a mental game to play Right. It's Vedanta. It's the end of knowledge. Right? All subjective knowledge or objective knowledge of yourself has to be put aside. And you realize that all human knowledge is that subject-object relationship. And here's the big one. That means everything you know about yourself is hearsay. Yeah. Everything you know is second-hand information that is nothing but how others perceive you. What do you, how do, how do you know yourself? Well, this is where knowledge, subject object relationship of knowledge ends. Yes. And they uh-huh. actually have another word for it in Sanskrit for a different kind of knowledge. It's called jnana, J-N-A, 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 N-A, jnana, which is one of the yogas, by the way. Yes. And it, and it's, and it stands for the sublimation of wisdom. That's mm. literally what it what it means okay and now you're in the realm of prajna which is another word for wisdom um and and the one the buddhist buddhists like uh, prajna jnana is another word for for wisdom or true knowledge right so this is the knowledge of myself not gained from an external source but only from myself the direct knowing of myself yes 
Okay. So it's a completely different thing. So this is how do I, knowing myself as not to, the undivided true knowledge. Now, to me, this is the essence of all religious inquiry. It's the essence of all spirituality. It's the yeah. essence, it's the whole enchilada to know who you are. That's why you hear that a lot amongst non-dual teachers, including myself, mm -hmm. to come to know who you are. This is what it's pointing at. Not describing myself, you know, I'm GP, I'm 69 years old, I live in Seattle, I've done all this stuff, right? Yeah, great, <laughs> but who are you, right? Mm -hmm. I, I can go all the different attributes, right? But, um, you know, I could tell you about the rose and how it smells, but what about the actual rose, right? Mm -hmm. it's, you know, I can tell you about an orange all day, but if you want to know an orange, take a bite. <laughs> Direct knowledge of yourself. This is what the whole non-dual path is about. And because we've been so educated into thinking of ourselves as just another object that we get to know about, and that self-knowledge is somehow all this stuff I've collected over the years... Mm -hmm, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but that's me. Um, <laughs> then I don't even know how to go about it. I don't even I don't I don't even know how to approach it in a different way. So this is this is the scientific method, only it's not classical analysis. It is it is the subjective self-examination. Okay. Yeah. It is self-inquiry. Mm -hmm. Knowing yourself directly from what you really experience about yourself and not yeah. what, you what you've believed you're experiencing. Yes, okay. Yeah, would you say some more about the difference between those two? Well, it's like I, when I asked the question, to, I, I suggest that you, you bring to mind, um, picture yourself. Mm -hmm. right? Yes. And, and, and then you realize that you've never actually seen that. You're walking around with that as a self-image, an image of someone you've never seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I would then say, okay, so you now have to put aside that self-image. What do you actually experience of yourself? Now, when you really do that, and meditation is one of the key tools for doing that sure. is you begin to realize that well what i actually experience is just kind of there's this presence mm -hmm. there's kind of this flow of energy um there's this there's feeling right right now my now my attention be, is coming more inward and and it's more focused on what i'm experiencing internally the feelings and the like, rather than some image in my mind I'm holding of myself, which is far more direct. Just feeling your body is more direct than a thought about you. That feeling of the body is closer to the truth of you than that image you're holding. Sure. Yeah. Right? Because it's mm -hmm. a direct, it's a direct feeling. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so that's really where it starts. And you can see that in that process, what you've done is attention has gone from the focus on external objects and conditions and that sort of thing and it started to move inward this is what i really mean by turning inward 
it's not actually, you know, in the body. I mean, we're not going to go look at pancreas and stuff, right? Um, it, cool. It's you're turning attention away from everything that is external to you. Yeah. Right. That is objective, right? With the own, the only intent is to try to come to experience the pure subject the one who's having the experience, not the experience. Right. Rather than defining ourselves through our experiences, how do you define yourself as the one having the experience? Mm -hmm. And then here's a big one. Can the one having the experience be experienced? <laughs> Can the perceiver be perceived? Right. Look closely, go, no, I can't. No. Because by definition, to experience it, it must be different than me. Right. Mm -hmm. And Nizagadatta put it beautifully. He said, whatever you can perceive can't be you. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and this kind of gets into one of the key methods in, um, <clears throat> in Vedanta. Uh, it's called neti neti. It's not this, not that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Not this, not this. Yeah. So if whatever I, if I just, you know, I might not be able to say what I am, right? Remember, it's non-dual. You can't speak it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you yes. can't, it's the Tao. You can't say what it is. Because the moment you say it, it's not true. You've turned it into an object, right? Mm -hmm. So what then do I do? Well, you, it's a very interesting practice where you are simply rejecting everything you're not all right <laughs> that's it since i can't actually know what i am i can only be what i am mm -hmm. um i simply reject all knowledge that defines me in any way all knowledge all right yeah i'm a nice guy i'm, a, I'm not a nice guy reject them both i'm a guy reject it <laughs> mm -hmm. in buddhism they call it the great doubt doubt yes. everything yeah. Okay. And uh, literally everything we're talking here. Literally everything. Everything. Everything, mm -hmm. everything you've ever been taught. You and... were born. Was I? <laughs> Every, you know, we just assume no. these things, right? Right. You know, rarely does the teacher come along and tell you to, to were you? Were you uh, born? Were, were you in fact born? Are you in fact in Seattle, Washington? <laughs> Now it seems like, oh come on, that's crazy. Of course I was born. Well, <laughs> well, the best you can say was, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. That's the most honest thing you can say. Yeah. yeah. I I don't remember. They told me I was. Mm -hmm. Right? They, they they gave me the little cake and the candle every year to celebrate it. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and I enjoyed it. And it was great. You didn't get presents and things fun. like that. Yeah. It was yeah. Fun. I had oh, yeah. my friends over and, mm -hmm. you know, it was great. But did it actually happen? Was, were you ever really bored? And, you know, you don't start at questions like this, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> no. But you have to realize that everything, everything becomes, uh, is up for grabs. Everything's on the table. No stone gets left unturned because we're after the truth. We're trying to find that which is. Yeah. Not which is appearance of an appearance of something else. To understand things as they actually are. 
who am I? And is this I that I am something that was born at a particular period of time? Or is it immortal? Am I actually immortal? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's, it, it seems kind of strange. How can I arrive at that by just saying everything I'm not? And because what happens is, is that that shift begins to take place where you begin to be looking at things subjectively rather than objectively. Right. And it, 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 it begins to, uh, to, to pierce even deeper. So as we move inward, you know, just by closing your eyes in a meditation, you've cut off 80% of the information you're normally getting from the world, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And so instantly attention goes inward. And our attention is just, you know, like a flashlight. It's looking for something to focus on, right? It, it never really sits still. So then it's going to start focusing, in bringing into attention feeling, the realm of feeling, sensation, feeling, as well as thoughts. You'll see thoughts, you know, a feeling will come up, there'll be a thought about it. And if you look long enough, you'll see this continuum between thoughts and feelings and the like, and the, the way they flow. This is also a very therapeutic place. This is where I use inner reconciliation um, you know, so that you can be increasingly present with them when they stop being so negative and stop being difficult. You know, the more you can allow it, the difficult stuff can begin to pass through and it goes into deeper and deeper levels of self-awareness to the point where eventually you begin to realize that, wait a minute, Thoughts, emotions, and sensations, while they're very intimate and close, there's something looking at them as well. Sure. Oh, they're yeah. coming and going. I'm not those either. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's something here looking at them. And that something that's looking at them isn't coming and going. It isn't, yeah. you know, if it was, the thought would go and you'd be gone. You know, boom, done. <laughs> You'd cease to exist. Mm. But there's something even subtler than the internal experience of the body and the emotions and, and the thinking. There's something even more subtle there. Yes. Now, take away the thoughts and the emotions and the sensations. Can you describe that thing at all that's watching them? No, no, you can't, because if you describe it, that's not the real Tao. It's, you're just watching it. Mm -hmm. it's, then, then you're watching something try to describe it. Mm -hmm. right? Well, that would make that the Tao, wouldn't it? You cannot describe it. That would mean that's you. <laughs> Pure you. Mm -hmm. Not a yes. face, not a body, not activities not any of the stuff of, of thought and emotion, which are all conditioned anyway, that this is the real unknowable you. You're in the realm of pure subjective experience, the realm of I am. And you just know you are, right? I mean, you know you are. <laughs> oh, yeah. And yes. you don't need anybody to tell you you are. <laughs> you don't need any experience to tell you you are. You just know it. Yeah. That is the true knowledge. That's jnana knowledge. Mm -hmm. I just know. Somebody asks, what are you? I don't know. 
What I am, I don't know. That I am, absolutely certain. That is undoubted. Un that is not dubious. Yes, right. It can't be doubted. Mm -hmm. And this is the beginning. This spot here, when you are actually fully grasp that, it's called enlightenment. Yeah. When, when all the other identifications have fallen away, and this is, oops, sorry, and this is all that's there, that is the awakening. Okay. And then the fun starts. <laughs> oh, yes. Because <laughs> it doesn't stop there. Okay. Because at that point now, completely withdrawn from the world, in, this is what's represented by being in the cave or in the monastery or, or descending down into the depths. And mythology has all sorts of different ways of expressing, sure. expressing going to this place. It's Luke Walker, Luke Skywalker in the cave. Right. There's right. nobody there but him. Yes. Right. Now that you're free of all those identifications, that same, that same inward energy turns around now and begins to look outward. This is the opening of the heart now. Okay. Because <laughs> the world's still here. <laughs> it hasn't gone anywhere. You're just not identified with it anymore. You've become a new creature. Yes. And that outward motion of that inward energy is what's called Tantra. Okay, right. That's where the who you are now begins to manifest itself in your human life. Whereas prior to that, being identified with all sorts of things, you are living your human life as the conditioned self, which you talked about in the last show about how the false sense of self gets created and how we become identified with it. But when that identification isn't there anymore, you now are living your, your human life as the real you. Um, yes. In complete self-expression. It's the end of suffering. It's the end of, of, of all of the ills that flesh is heir to. It is a complete embrace of life as it is. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean it's all, you know, rainbows and unicorns, right? That means you, you, embrace, you embrace the grief, the sadness, right. the loss, the disappointment without buffering it or reframing it or any psychological techniques. Sure. And also the joy, the sweetness of it, the wonder mm -hmm. of it, the miracle of every moment yeah. becomes, it, it all becomes open to you but without suffering. Mm -hmm. And that's the key. This is about the end of suffering. It just ha so happens that the end of suffering and enlightenment are the same thing. Sure. And I always like to point out that Buddha did not go looking for enlightenment. He went looking for the answer to suffering. Yes. And that yeah. answer was enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And so when people are seeking enlightenment, I always like to try to, to bring point that out <laughs> right because it can yeah. become very intellectual and i've tried uh, yes. to present this while it is intellectually very precise mm -hmm. you know vedanta doesn't leave a single stone unturned yeah no right nor does zen um that that's that's not its purpose is to just give you a you know to be a pundit <laughs> right <laughs> yeah right it is to end suffering because all the suffering is 
is because of believing yourself to be who you're not. Yes. Uh-huh. Believing that image in your mind was you. And it never was. Mm-hmm. That image in your mind, that was born. That will die. But you? No. Oh, Images right. come and go. But you don't. You were there at your birth. You witnessed it. You were just not anyone in particular. <laughs> so there was no context to it. Mm-hmm. Your, your birth is actually the appearance of the world. Yeah. yeah. There was no world before before what we would call your birth. And that's just the way it was handed back to you. <laughs> that was just the story you were told. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, you yeah. were never born, you were never going to die. Mm-hmm. You know, even in reincarnation, it's not the wor- there's not this world here and you get born into it, die out of it and get born into it again. Like it's the constant and you're, you know, you're the bit player. You know, <laughs> waiting for your cue coming in off stage, you know, and oh, yeah. exiting off stage and then coming on again. You are what is constant. You are what is. And it's the world that comes and goes. Yes. Yeah. And what's remarkable is that's just exactly the opposite of what we're raised to believe. Yes. Yeah. And that's the only reason why Advaita Vedanta and non-duality seems arcane, difficult, or, mm. or uh, they say, oh, it's too intellectual, too complex. It's only because it's exactly the opposite of everything you've been taught. <laughs> and so your, our, our minds, we, we just don't have any place to put it, mm-hmm. right? And so you'll hear a lot of non-dual teachers who aren't quite mature enough yet Okay. To be teaching it, um, we'll be using all sorts of uh, of different kinds of phrases and, and and the like, trying to make it palatable. And when somebody hears it for the first time, it's inevitable when I hear something, even if it's really interesting and resonates, I'm going to immediately try to put it into my the context I already have. I'm going to hunt, try to understand it from the point of view that I've. You know, I'm going to try to assimilate it, sure, right? right, exactly, into what I already know to be "quote unquote" true, right? <laughs> but if something comes up that says, "No, in order to in order to to accept me, you must get rid of everything you know," we are not compatible. <laughs> uh, absolutely, everything we're talking again here. <laughs> absolutely, everything. everything. Yes, and mm-hmm. which means you're 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 not only learning something new. You're learning a completely way different way of learning. It is a completely different context of understanding, mm-hmm. and the 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 model of sub, the subject object model is incompatible with Vedanta. Mm-hmm. But we're forced to use the terms and the ideas and the constructs and the concepts of of the subject object uh, uh, method. Uh, in order to teach it, because um, language is basically that. Language is yeah, sure. dualistic by nature. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so we, we refer to it. It's not teaching. It's pointings. I just point you in a direction. It's the best <laughs> I can. I can't teach you. Oh. There's no, you know, how can I teach you you? <laughs> yeah, 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 because you, you don't need to be learned. <laughs> you don't need to and be yeah. learned. Mm-hmm. And anything I tell you would be my impression of you. So... <laughs> I have to point you to where you're going to find you. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it really does look like this. It's pointing the way. Yep. And uh, I, I, yeah, again, it just strikes me how um, I, I'm laughing and I've been laughing because we really need to, in the end, not leave anything in place. Leave no stone under none. <laughs> none. And, you know, let's face it, that's what's happening in our world. Mm -hmm. I mean, on a yeah. very practical level, you know, the institutions of our world are, have fallen apart. Right. Right. And, you know, there's a whole school that we're, oh, we're just going to try to make them better. Right. Oh, they just need some tweaking here and there. Nope. <laughs> they simply do not work anymore. The whole mythology of, you know, that, that grew up with agriculture, you know, 12,000 years ago, the city states, all the entire organization, organizing of human, human beings for the last 20, 12,000 years has collapsed. I mean, this is not, this is not a tweak that's required. <laughs> Call in yeah. the bulldozers. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. This is an epochal shift, right? This is not just, you know, just not, you know, a, a new generation, right? Or, going from the 60s to the 70s it ain't that it is a complete collapse of the entire intellectual underpinnings of the last 25 12,000 years 12 yeah. 13,000 years no. and what has to emerge well it's going to be a completely different way of of thinking of being of assessing and of knowing and yeah. that's exactly what we're talking about here mm -hmm. It is. Now, GP, if someone wanted more information because Advaita Vedanta is not so widely practiced, um, where, would, where would you recommend that people go to find out more about this? Well, uh, obviously my site, gpwalsh.com. Um, I do satsang, which is, you know, non, which is a traditional uh, non-dual question and answer between the student and teacher right it's thousands of years old <laughs> uh, in india i do it in the in the traditional way except i do it on youtube which is not traditional um i do it every sunday at uh, 3 p.m eastern I, I just go to youtube slash gp walsh uh i've got literally hundreds of videos up there um mm -hmm. most of which are really dealing specifically with uh, with the non-duality. And as you mentioned before, non-duality is the underpinnings of everything I do, even though I teach some other techniques mm -hmm. and I teach right. inner reconciliation, I teach some stuff that's more, you know, therapeutic and emotionally releasing. This is at its root. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, the, you know, yeah. this understanding of who you are is what allows me to free you from the, you believing yourself to be the conditioned patterns. You can begin to see that you, you simply mistook conditioning which is just functioning in the nervous system as yourself yeah and that misidentification has caused all your problems mm -hmm. every single one <laughs> every and, single yeah. one. and it's just a mistake and it's just a mistake mm -hmm. it's an oops <laughs> <laughs> oops <laughs> oops which is interesting you know the original word in hebrew of sin means to miss the mark mm, no yeah now you missed the mark right right you, you believe something that wasn't true and the power of our beliefs tends to get us to conform to those beliefs and so it appears to be true when it isn't mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah so um 
Yeah, it, it forms the foundation of absolutely uh, everything I everything I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, of, of all of the things that, that you do, this is something that I've been looking forward to asking you about in in, in greater detail. So I, I really appreciate this. And I know oh, the listeners great. will get. You understand a lot. this? You'll understand the rest. You'll understand everything. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's the Swiss Army knife. It it opens the door. You'll understand everything. Right. I'm, I'm not kidding. Yeah. No. Then you guys, he's not kidding at all. It's, it's true. <laughs> it's true. And you can find more information at gpwalsh.com. And again, on YouTube, on GP's YouTube channel, there are hundreds of videos of satsang with G, the traditional question and answer in the tradition of Advaita Vedanta. And this it's a beautiful place to go for information and you know, hop on there Sundays at 3 Eastern. Yep. Yeah. Well, GP, this has been wonderful. It's always a pleasure to have you on here. I always learn a great deal. And I know the listeners have learned a great deal as well. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Oh, you're so welcome, Tomas. It's been great. This has been GP Walsh here on Decide to Transform. Thank you all for joining us. Have a great rest of your day. <laughs>